And um, this passage that we're looking at today has really encouraged and inspired me this week and uh, given me real fresh hope for us as a body, as a church. It's a radical calling that we have. In an individualistic society, which says it's all about me, Paul is saying this is a totally different way to live that we live for one another, with one another, rubbing shoulders with one another, that we're organically linked, if you like. And Paul is known for his teaching. He's known for his challenge, but he also writes pastorally, which I love as a pastor. He writes pastorally. He wants us to grow together. He wants his church that he is writing to, to grow together. And he wants us here today as Riverside Church uh, in uh, this year to grow together in fellowship. And we are starting a series. It's the third of our series uh, on living life well. If you haven't got the booklet, you can get one today, uh, which is talking about the battles we face living life well when we're in battle and looking at fellowship, looking at Sabbath rest, looking at other disciplines that we've not yet really dug into to say, how do we fight our battles together? And it seems really appropriate then that we start together, that we start looking at this brilliant theme of fellowship that says we are in a battle, but together we stand. And there's some really great insights in the passage that we're going to dig into to help us with this business of standing together. Uh, the first is this. Um, I read many definitions this week on fellowship, but this really was the one that I kind of landed on, which is joint partnership for a common goal joint partnership for a common goal. That actually where it differs from friendship, and friendship is a beautiful and wonderful thing, is that it's slightly different because we are all joined together, very different people, very disparate from all kinds of different walks of life, but we join together, we gather together for a common good, for a common goal. And uh, in his teaching on this, Tim Keller talks about the difference between aggregation and congregation. And actually, Paul is talking to a congregation, which is a gathering of people. Aggregation is individuals all lined up together. It's the example he uses is a bag of marbles or a line of marbles. And he says, we are not marbles. We are a cluster of grapes all organically growing together, a congregate that we are growing together. And the reason he says that is because he says that every bit of our lives should be touching one another's. Every bit, we're clustered together. We're not lined up, if you like, but we're in a cluster organically growing together. And I don't know when you look around you whether that's true. If I'm honest, I doubt it. Every area of our lives touching, because we're pretty reserved, aren't we, in the UK on the whole. And we might say, well, you can have that bit of me and I'll, I'll let you know about that and I'll let you know about that, but this is me privately. We can be very private people, but fellowship, as we see in the early church and as we certainly see in the book of Acts, is about shared life. It's about the whole of life. It's about our community groups living so radically differently that the world stands by and says, I want to be part of that. 
Just this last week, uh, we had a knock on our door. It might have been two weeks ago. We had someone ring the door at Riverside House who said, I want to know when your services are. He looked in quite a bad way, so I thought he might have come for food or for money. But no, he had come because he said, I want to know when your services are. And I said, oh, that's great. And I told him why and how he could get there. And he said the reason was he had seen such a change in one individual in this body, and they're here, I won't embarrass them, that he wanted to be part of it. And not only that, but he'd seen you guys loving that person. And that's fellowship. It's that you've seen something, and we know lots of kind, loving people who are not people of faith, but we are people of faith. And so this spurring on that Paul talks about is even more important. It is vital for us. Um, as we look at how we stand together, we're going to look briefly at five of these things in the passage. The first is, how do we do it through confidence? What does that mean? How do we do it considering one another? How do we spur one another on towards this love that we're talking about? How do we avoid giving up, as our friend um, has spoken about this morning? How do we avoid you know, falling and then not getting up? How do we make sure that we do get back up? And finally, how do we encourage one another? Uh, something to look forward to at the end of the passage. The spurring is a bit more tricky, but bear with it because we get to the encouraging bit at the end. So firstly then, and I was a bit, when I was given the passage, I thought, well, hang on, it's a game of two halves. I get the second bit, but why do we have to look at the first bit to get the second bit? But it became really apparent to me that we absolutely do. And as we look at it, it says here, Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. Let us draw near to God. So he's saying, because we get to access all of this love that God has for us, all of this forgiveness that Christ died for, for you and I, because we have that, we can be so confident that we are loved, that our identity is in being loved children of him, that we can then actually love one another well, in security, in confidence. We've got nothing left to prove in a sense because that curtain was torn in two. And one of my favorite moments in the crucifixion and the resurrection story is is that I think it's phenomenal that a massive physical curtain ripped down the middle the moment Jesus died. That has to tell us something, whether you're a believer today or not. That must ask a question as to why that happened. Because there were reports that it actually did. It's not something that was made up. It actually happened. It's been reported many times. So if that happened, it happened because you and I were distant from God, but actually we can have access to him. We can be close to him. We can draw near to his love. And because we can have confidence that you and I are loved, accepted, forgiven, totally, because we can be considered righteous even, we can then have right relationship, not just with God, but with each other. So that's the bridge, if you think of it like a song. That's the bridge to the next bit that we're going to look at, that we can have confidence because we can draw near to God. And then we move on to this word that slightly surprised me, and uh, I went back to a couple of times, which is consider. I'm not sure that I always do this. In fact, I'm very confident that I don't always do it. I'm quite a reactive person, if you know me. Uh, that won't surprise you. I'm very much in the moment. But this is quite planned. 
This is about when we look around our community groups, our life groups, our triplets, it's about considering how we spur one another on. Yes, we'll do it on the fly. Of course we will. We'll do it spontaneously. But what about approaching your week and thinking, who can I love well and spur on? How can I do it? Now, for those of you who are planned and looking at me thinking, well, that's my world. I do that every day and I don't, don't start the day without a list. That's not my reality. It may be yours. But all of us can do this, that we can think, how will I do it? Consider Paul says it's planned, it's thought through, it's thoughtful. Uh, and you and I know how much that matters to us. Uh, there's a brilliant quote from Tozer or Towser, I'm never sure which way to pronounce him. Let's go with Tozer. Um, he says this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically then tuned to one another? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must now individually bow. So a hundred worshippers, we might be about that, met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could ever possibly be, were they striving for unity, conscious and turning their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. And I love that image of the pianos, if you like, all tuned to the same fork, that because we're all looking at Christ, because we're all saying, Jesus, you've loved me a sinner, as Jackie prayed earlier on, as every one of us can pray, because we're all tuned to that, as we look to him, unity lives itself out in us. In other words, we don't say must try harder all the time. There's a lot of that, I think, in our thinking. But it's just as we love God more, we will love one another more. It's a beautiful fruit of that bunch of grapes organically linked together. And I really like that fact that, that Toza says, actually, as we gaze at Christ, unity is a byproduct. I'd also like to say, and this won't surprise you, that unity is a weapon. We are in battle. That's what we're looking at this term. And unity is a weapon. It's a godly weapon. And as we look at political parties at the moment warring within each other, as we look at our world at war, as we look at our nation, our city, warring with itself, whether that's gang violence, whether that's individuals falling out, whatever it may be, we have an opportunity to live united. And that is exciting. It's not boring, by the way. It doesn't mean we all have to agree, thankfully. We're going to come to that in a minute. You'll enjoy it. We get to irritate each other in a moment, which is lovely, isn't it? Um, but actually, we stand united. We stand together so that our friends, our neighbours, our loved ones who don't yet know this love really fully for themselves can say that's a body that love one another. So different, so diverse. That's one of our prayers for this church, that we become more reflective of our community, more reflective of the diversity of Birmingham, but that nevertheless, we are united together. So he says, let's consider, then he says, how we may spur one another on. The original Greek of the word spur is to irritate one another. Isn't that wonderful? So you can all feel vindicated in being irritated by church and irritated by leaders and irritated by your group and your their lack of commitment, whatever it is. And um, being slightly cheeky there, because of course, really, this is to spur for good. It's, it's a sense of challenge for good. 
And this, can I just add this, is permissional. Before we have a free-for-all and we think, great, when we get to coffee, we can walk up to someone and say, I don't like the way you do this. It's not that. But what it is, is you and I saying, if we're going to fellowship and stand together in battle, who are going to be our tribe? Who are going to be our people who we say, I give you permission to tell me where my blind spots are? That's a brave thing to do. But if we're looking at battle, we need to be brave. To give people permission. Somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago, Judy, you seem to have more input in your life from mentors and coaches than anyone else I know. I need it. <laughs> you know, I'm a special case maybe. I don't know. But I need it. I need challenge. I need input. Somebody said to me once, Judy, you can be incredibly defensive. That's the only thing you can't come back at, is it? <laughs> you can't say, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not defensive. How dare you? So I just kept quiet for once. Um, but it stayed with me. It stayed with me because that person matters to me. And we give people permission in our life groups, in our triplets, in whatever, in our community groups, to say, I give you permission to say, if you see me doing that, please, will you just gently point it out? And it's hard because we do take offense. And I know I'm oversensitive. But if we really want to grow, then actually we do need to do that. And we need to do that for others as well. It's a reciprocal thing, spurring one another. And what are we spurring one another on towards? It's love and good deeds. It's living differently. It's living with the generosity, the kindness, the love, the excellence of love that Jesus demonstrates in his life here on earth spurring one another on to good deeds. And that is not just within the church. I'm sure we know that by now. But that's loving the unlovely. That's loving the people that are hardest to love. That's loving the marginalized in our world who can't find love anywhere else. And actually, that is the calling of the Christian church, to love where love is not to really seek out in our considering, in our planning, in our praying, how can we love those who really don't feel they've got anywhere else to go? It's one of the reasons I'm so proud of some of the ministries in our midst that actually reach out where love is not, that say, I will love you persistently, unswervingly, and spurring one another on as team towards those good deeds. This is a quote from a, a book I uh, have been reading, Lost Connection, which is about our world and about individualism and about how more and more individuality is being preached in every nation. Some nations are not there yet, but it's, it's so part of things. And E.O. Wilson within that book says this, people must belong to a tribe just as a bee goes haywire if it loses its hive, a human will go haywire if she loses her connection to the group. We, without ever intending to, have become the first humans to dismantle our tribes. As a result, we've been left alone on a savannah we don't understand, puzzled by our own sadness. It's not a Christian writer. It's somebody who's just looking at our society and saying, hang on, what's happened here? We've lost our hive, our tribe, our community. We have a hive. We have a tribe. We have a community. We have it. Whether you're new to church today, maybe you come for the first time, we welcome you uh, to this congregation, to this bunch of grapes, if you like, that are growing together, that are doing it in odd ways, in bad ways, in good ways, but are doing it because we love Jesus and we're forgiven by him. 
It's as if they were all in one big tribe. Um, one of my joys at Riverside is community groups. And we are kind of sliced up in 11 groups currently, multi-generational groups uh, of community, of living life together, of eating together. I'm not sure we've got around to sleeping together unless we're going away for the weekend camping. But he talks about that. He talks about the whole of our shared lives together and our tribe being those who keep us safe in battle. And we are in a battle and therefore we desperately need our tribe around us. And we need to add to it because of that loneliness, because of that isolation. And then finally, as we, uh, as we come to land, Paul talks about not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And can I just say this, and I mean this sincerely, thank you for staying with us on the journey because I know that sometimes people consider leaving churches uh, because they don't like a certain thing a certain way uh, as, as Nick spoke so brilliantly a couple of weeks ago about the kind of flavor of worship or that didn't do anything for me but actually what we have here in Paul's model is a church that is looking not just to come on Sundays, looking to do life together and to love one another rather than putting ourselves first all the time. And it's difficult. People leave for a whole variety of reasons and we understand that. But sometimes staying in your group, staying encouraging, hanging on when you don't know where, where we're taking you even, which I know sometimes has been the case, and actually hanging on and saying, we are family. You know, when people say to me, I'm thinking of leaving the church, to me, it almost sounds like I'm saying I no, lo want, no longer want to be your brother or sister. Does that make sense? Now, I'm extreme. We know this. But um, that's how it feels because we are family and therefore we are fellowshipping even when it's hard, even when it's tough to stay, to not give up. And meeting together is way more than just Sundays. Of course it is. It's about the whole of life meeting together and fellowship. And it's not just about the talk. It's not just about the music. It is about the fellowship, who you can encourage over coffee. It's about serving. If you serve, and most of you do, if you're serving, you are fellowshipping. That's what we do when we serve. Whether you're giving out an outlook, it was so brilliant on Outlook this morning to have the children just so excited to give us an outlook. It's just brilliant, the joy of that. And we long for more of that. So brilliant to see so many of our young people serving in a whole host of ways, some of which you might see, some of which you might not be aware of at all. And then finally, encourage one another. This is my favorite bit. This is where we all get to smile a bit more. Um, is to give courage in battle. As we stand together, we need to encourage one another. Jeff Lucas has a phrase, catch somebody out doing something good. We're very quick, aren't we, to catch people out doing something wrong. But actually, when we see somebody doing something beautiful, Love is a beautiful thing. When we see that in someone, to say, that's beautiful. I loved seeing that in you. And love is a way to keep people on their feet. In Job, in the Old Testament, right at the end of all his trauma, and goodness me, didn't he go through it, his friend Eliphaz, and his friends didn't always get it right, but on this occasion, his friend Eliphaz says this, Job, your words have kept us men on our feet. I dare to add women to that, but you know what I mean. 
I've kept you in battle. Your words have kept me on my feet. And as you look around you, and I know this is true for people here for me, is sometimes your words of encouragement have kept me on my feet. Your deeds, your love have kept me on my feet. And I hope that as you look around, uh, that in your battles, in your struggles, that we have kept each other on our feet. In Proverbs, we read, the lips of the righteous nourish many. If we are right with God, through that curtain that we talk about, if we draw near to God and are right with him, then we can live righteously with one another. We can have right relationships with one another. In the Navy, there is this rule. No officer shall speak discouragingly to another in the discharging of their duties. Why have they got that, do you think, in the Navy? Why would you have that? Because surely sometimes you've got to critique someone. In the discharging of their duties, you will never discourage another officer. It's for safety. Because if in the middle of combat, you suddenly say, do it a different way, you can't. It's where the enemy can get in. And we are in battle as we're going to look at this term. And we do need to stand together. And we do need to be people of encouragement, not discouragement. Doesn't mean we won't challenge. We can do the spurring bit. But we need courage. We need encouragement. What about if every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest here, decided this week that we will actively encourage somebody every day? You might not think that will make much difference. It is countercultural. Those of you in the working world will say it is countercultural. I made my will this week um, for the first time, hopefully <laughs> the only time, and I, um, I found it quite a difficult experience in some ways. I kept thinking, well, I haven't really got much to show for anything. Um, but just as the lovely man from Wolverhampton was leaving, I think a little bit bewildered by the an hour and a half that we had spent together, um, I said to him, can I just say, you've made a bad thing that I was dreading a really, really happy, good thing. And he looked as if he was going to cry. He looked really, really moved. And I think it's because as a guy just going around making wills, he probably doesn't get that. Now, I'm not bigging myself up here, but it was something I was dreading. And actually, it turned into something good. And there'll be things in your life that you maybe are dreading, that you're looking inwards as I was about that. And actually, as we look up, as we look out, as we look to Christ, who can we bless? Who can we encourage? Who can we, instead of looking always to be blessed, who can we actually bless and encourage? So you've heard enough from me. Um, uh, some might say more than enough, but I'm going to call Nick Drazy up now. Let's give Nick a welcome as we uh, come to a close. Brilliant. Um, now, Nick's coming, joining us from PA, so we can see that you're serving as part of Fellowship, which is brilliant. And Nick, you're part of our, our church family. You're part of MIF. Um, I want to just ask you a, a couple of uh, questions, really, about the, the talk that we've just looked at. Um, how do you find, you've got Christian friends around you, you're part of a small group and part of MIF. How do you find that they give courage to you and encourage you? 
Yeah, I'd really say sort of meeting on Fridays with the youth is, is really encouraging to me because we're able to speak openly because we're in very similar situations. We're able to discuss those situations, problems we're facing at school. And I find that mo most encouraging because especially at school, not all of my friends are Christian. And so they don't necessarily have the same opinion as me on situations. On a more intimate level, though, a small group with Jamie and Theo and, some, and Alex Lee, uh, I find it more useful because we're able to pray together on more sensitive issues uh, and for, sort of for encouragement for each other of the week ahead. Brilliant. And that's that's kind of them supporting you. But I also know, and you're a humble guy, but I know that you support others and encourage others. Uh, what are the ways that you might seek to do that to encourage them and spur them on? Yeah, well, this is definitely something, as you've mentioned, that I find quite challenging. And so with small group, I just try to encourage them wherever possible. But this is definitely something that I think, as you mentioned, should become more proactive in my life. It's definitely something that when I see the opportunity, I take it and to try and encourage people in their situations, especially if I've already been in them. But I think it's something that I could be more proactive in. Um, and lastly, um, I know you and Jamie, actually, a few years ago, did a blog, which I just thought was brilliant uh, to encourage people and to talk about your faith, which I just thought was stunning. I don't know about you. Um, what was the motivation for, for doing that? Why did you choose to do yeah, that? Yeah, this was a few years ago. I really enjoyed it. And it was more sort of as we were reading the Bible and as we were living life together, it was just the opportunity to share with whoever was willing to read it, sort of what we've learned. And then maybe through what we've learned, they might be encouraged. Brilliant. Nick, thank you very much. Let's thank you very much for doing that. <laughs>I love the fact there that, that Nick talked about his life group, um, just that they can study together, that they can read the word together. And then that is about the whole week. It's about fellowship through the week as well. So as we finish and uh, got a couple, just a little couple of definitions uh, and quotations to finish as we come to respond. William Barclay says, a selfish Christianity is a contradiction in terms. Because Jesus is on the throne of our lives, we are living for him. Because Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done, we get to say the same, that we, we get to live differently. And Tim Keller um, said this, which really, really struck me this week. The wages of sin is aloneness and then death. We know if we know the phrase, the wages of sin is death, but this actually says it's first aloneness. Our sin isolates us because we want to keep it secret. And so we stay away from people. We withdraw. We stop meeting together. But actually, if we've given people permission to spur us, then we're whole of life together, spurring one another on. The wages of sin is aloneness and then death.